Well, today uh, we are speaking about relationships. <laughs> this is uh, number four in our relational remedy series. Anybody gotten remedied at all so far? <laughs> Last week, uh, I'll try not to uh, wax so eloquent this week. We went a little long, uh, but uh, I've, I've heard some pretty good feedback on the dating. The, you know, the interesting thing about my talk on dating last week was uh, a couple of people said, oh, you, you shouldn't just go so easy on us. So I was like, wow, I thought I was being mean, but uh, <clears throat> wasn't trying to. Well, we're going to... Um, talk about relationships further today. And as I said to the married people last week, so I say to you, single people this week, don't check out because God has something for you today. Uh, Let me pray a moment. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. We seek you because you first sought us. We adore you. Thank you that you really care for us. We're asking today, Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to see more clearly who you are, God, and what you're about in our lives. And you'd be glorified in us. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Well, you know, most of the principles I'm going to speak about today, well, the name of uh, the uh, sermon today is called Marriage. What's the purpose? What is the purpose? Well, you know, most of these principles are really applicable to most, (laughs) to singles as well as marrieds. Uh, And, um, you know, marriage, I want to say this before I get going. Marriage is not required in order to reach fulfillment in life uh, or, um, or full maturity. So... Let's just take that little depression off of you. (laughs) If you're single and you feel like, well, I can't really. No, I think Paul, the apostle, and mainly Jesus, our Lord and Savior, were quite mature and quite fulfilled and quite obedient without ever being married. Uh, Paul could have been married uh, uh, because he was a Pharisee and there were um, Pharisees were married, but. He was not married throughout his ministry. I don't know. Um, But the point was, Paul and Jesus both obviously uh, were fulfilled and mature without marriage. Can we get that straight just to start with before you feel that there's something else out there? Now, as I say that, (laughs) Jesus and Paul, (laughs) uh, Jesus first and foremost, um, had ability as singles <laughs> to embrace God and marriage is oftentimes brought into our lives for, for many wonderful purposes, which we'll talk about today, <laughs> but marriage is a great revealer and marriage is a great uh, worker honor worker honor. Can you say worker honor marriage works on you uh, in your character and in your maturity in God and in bringing fulfillment in your life. So I'm not de- negating that and I'm not saying it's one of the chief, if not the chief instrument that God's given us. I just want you to know that until you're married, you don't have to wait around. Waiting on the Lord does not mean wasting your life. And it does not mean that you're missing out. I got married at 36. What a wonderful, wonderful thing it is. Uh, But marriage is not easier. It's better (laughs) for me. It's not better, but it's not easier necessarily. 
Uh, and oftentimes we can look from the single perspective and say, oh, my troubles would go away. I have someone with me all the time. And, I'm, you know, but uh, marriage takes work. And uh, we're going to talk about that today. But it is it is a glorious institution that God's uh, put forth. Um, you know, God wants to deal with an adulterous spirit in our society. I'm not merely speaking of sexual immorality, which is prevalent and rampant, and that is true. But God wants to deal with our fascination with and love for newness, new things, and our lack of enamor with committed faithfulness, which gets better and better and better over time. I, I pray uh, when I marry people... Uh, when I perform a wedding ceremony, my belief, Lord, give, make this a 50-year-er plus. Make this a 50-year marriage plus. Um, that's much more rare these days. My grandparents were married for 68 years. My parents have been married for 53 years. I, I had the joy and the privilege of, of uh, doing their uh, renewal of their vows at 50 years. What an honor and a privilege but that's more rare. But you know what? It's about to start kicking back up again. <laughs> and it's going to make a huge difference in our society. Anyway, uh, marriage, what's the purpose? Well, there's, there's, there's a lot of debate, isn't there, <laughs> on the definition of marriage these days. And uh, there's a lot of debate on uh, a lot of things about marriage. I think that I, I, I know that we desire to define marriage as God clearly has defined it in his holy word, in, in the word of God, uh, the Bible, the 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, otherwise known as Old Covenant, um, 27 in the New Testament, otherwise known as New Covenant. The New Testament's where you find the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, telling about the life of Jesus, and then all of that. But in this word, throughout, God gives definition. And uh, in our society, a sensual way at times that we look at things in our society is that if it feels right to me, that just doesn't feel right to me. Um, yes, but... The real question we should ask is, how does this line up with the standard of God's word? How does this line up with God's standard? God's standard of his word and his law, so to speak, as is spoken in the Old Testament, which Jesus came uh, to bring grace and truth. God's standard never brings oppression. It always brings freedom. It always brings freedom. You should not be afraid of God's word. You should embrace his word. But when you get into his word, you... You change for his glory. And so today I want to look at marriage and um, look at God's purpose in it. And uh, hopefully we'll see value of defining marriage as God intended to define it. First thing. Uh, well, I just want to say this. Um, one definition of love that I heard before, which I thought was a good one, kind of speaks about our, our uh, modern day. Uh, when we say, oftentimes when we say, I love you, <laughs> in um, you know, a relationship or something, oftentimes, I'm not blaming you, but if the shoe fits, 
Oftentimes when we say that, what we mean is, I love me and the way you make me feel. And when you quit making me feel that way, then I just fell out of love with you. No, that's not love. I mean, yeah. Well, anyway, uh, we want to talk about that today <laughs> a little bit. Whew, we could stop right there. Just have a little party in God. <laughs> the healing of aloneness. That is one of the key purposes in marriage. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, not just marriage. Before there was sin, uh, sin comes in pretty quickly in the Bible. There are 1,187 books. I'm sorry, not books. Chapters in the Bible. 1,187 chapters in the Bible. In the third chapter, <laughs> sin enters the picture. Didn't take long, did it? And the rest of the Bible is about the reconciliation of all things. Where paradise lost becomes paradise regained with God as initially intended. But anyway, before, even before Genesis chapter 3, where marriage, I mean, uh, where, um, where Adam and Eve are put together, something was said to be not good. Well, that's strange. How could that be? Well, let's look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. God is in the process of creating. And uh, before there was sin, this something was said to be not good. Genesis 2.18 says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And God put Adam into a deep sleep and out of his side... Some definition of it, it speaks of the rib, but needless to say, out of Adam's side when he was asleep, a helper suitable was made for him. What was the name of the helper suitable for Adam? What? Eve, right? Eve, not Michelle. I think you said Michelle. <laughs> you failed the Bible quiz. Oh, 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 okay, I'm sorry, you were more... <laughs> Uh, the first woman was not named Michelle, and you didn't say it, but I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, the, the helper suitable for Adam was a woman named Eve. And, uh, but, but God said it wasn't good uh, for man to be alone, and that man, uh, but relationships with others, God gave mankind other people to deal with our aloneness problem. Even without sin... When we're with God in heaven, we were made for relationship with him and with one another. Is that fair enough? Nobody is good on their own, no matter how holy, how pure you are. Holiness doesn't take you out of relationship. Holiness helps you get into relationship in a healthy way. Right? Holiness. Jesus was holy, is holy, ever will be holy. And Jesus was into people's lives. He wasn't withdrawn like the Pharisees, the religious people of, of his day that were so intent on rules. But Jesus was involved in people's lives. And that's the essence of who God is in relationship. God has made us to be relating with each other in a healthy way. And when we relate with one another in a healthy way, 
then we're able to see God uh, and his power more clearly. First John, the apostle John, one of Jesus' uh, initial followers, John actually known as Jesus' best friend that was a disciple, um, by his own coining of the term, the one Jesus loved, which he spoke about himself. He said that if we love God, we will love our neighbors and don't, and the basic gist of what he said in common uh, or in uh, in modern terms is don't even think about saying you love God if you cannot love your neighbor. And so relationships were given to us by God, him as well, in order to heal relationship uh, or to heal an aloneness problem. And uh, this is very important for both married as well as single. Relationships are absolutely vital for us as human beings. If you get out of relationships with people, um, then um, unhealthy things can happen. And um, interesting enough that those who, uh, uh, even if you speak about some of the atrocities that have happened recently, um, you look at... uh, Newtown, Connecticut, you look at some of the other things that have happened, uh, it was someone very divorced from relationships. Very divorced from relationships. And it's unhealthy. It's not good for man to be alone in his thoughts. It's not good for man to be alone and to be isolated. It's just a part of the whole deal. Well, relationships uh, are vital for us, and we can heal one another's aloneness in our relationships. Um, uh, With singles, among singles, there are limits to that. Females can add a little more assistance to females, males to males. Uh, and it doesn't mean we can't love each other as brothers and sisters with absolute purity. But there are limits. But we can uh, minister to one another. Marriage is the most intense form of relationship. And I would say that for marriage and for the healing of aloneness that God put marriage together, it, a good question for us to ask rather than who's right or who's wrong, which so often happens with me, you know, um, <laughs> oh golly, I remember first getting married and, uh, I could make it seem real nice out of my mouth, but if I was, if I was cutting at my wife, boy, she could feel it from five rooms away. And, uh, I, I was exposed in my heart to, to my lack of my really desire to want to be right. My desire to, uh, kind of, uh, uh hurt because of my own hurt at times. And, uh, but one good question for us to ask as married people, uh, and singles to the degree that God gives us that is how can I leave this person? How can I leave my spouse less alone as a result of our interaction? Not how do I prove that I'm right? Anybody ever tried to prove you're right to your spouse? I mean, I've come up with some good ones, you know, like. I was three or four sentences ahead, you know. I knew she was wrong. And, uh, well, basically, if I know she's wrong and I'm doing I'm wrong. <laughs> it's, it's worse to be wrong in spirit. <laughs> it really is. Well, it's bad to be both. <laughs> it's bad to just be wrong. It's totally worse if you're wrong in spirit and you're wrong, which I've been a lot of times. But in, in our spirit, we, we, we are given to one another in marriage to heal aloneness, not to tear each other's. Um, souls up further. We were given to be instruments of healing to one another as people in general, but specifically in marriage. And um, boy, uh, marriage is the great revealer, the great revealer, the great 
revealer. Anybody that's married out there had anything revealed at a greater level through marriage about you? Yeah. Yeah, you have. Courtney told me. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. She didn't. But she could have probably because my wife could tell you ways in my own life. Um, But uh, so healing of aloneness. Fair enough. Can we look at our marriages as an opportunity to heal one another? I think we'd have a lot less arguments about who's right and who's wrong if we really realized what my partner, my marriage partner, what my spouse, my husband, my wife, what they need is to not be so dreadfully alone. They need to know that we're together. And so it doesn't mean we don't speak honestly. It doesn't mean we don't have disagreements. But it's a very important thing. Ask God to make you an instrument of healing in your spouse, in the lives of those around you, at your school, at your workplace, to leave the people you're with less alone as a result of their encounter with you. When people are less alone, guess what? Um, They sin less. (laughs) You don't sin more when you're alone. You sin less uh, when God invades that place of your heart in a way deeper than you've ever known when people are in there with you. That's one of the values of accountability and uh, us not being alone in our thoughts about what's going on. That allows us to sin less and God's desire is for us to sin less as a result that we know we're loved more. When you know you're loved more, you end up sinning less and you're not performing to try to sin less. You're just, you just are. The second thing about marriage and a purpose of marriage is the development of holiness. Um, I don't know what your definition of holiness is, but holiness uh, is is a wholeness, integer. Anybody doing any math? I mean, I guess that would be eighth grade or sixth grade. I don't know what grade that is. Um, But an integer is a whole number, correct? Yes? You don't know? Some of you know? I graduated, thank the Lottie, as I've said before, not magna cum or anything. But I think that it is an integer, a whole. God wants us to be whole. And to live holy means we're whole. God is not different when he's... When he's uh, in one place and when he's another, he is whole. He is complete. He is not looking for what he can get from us. He is looking for how to give to us. And out of that, he actually gets what he deserves, which is all the glory. Anyway, um, we can see that relationships with, oh, uh, let's read Hebrews twelve fourteen. It says here, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. To be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. This relates our relationship with others with holiness, with becoming whole, right? Why do we do goofy things and sinful things? Because there's not a wholeness in our lives. Why do we do some things behind closed doors or the closed doors of our minds? Because there's not a wholeness in our lives. It's the holiness that God wants, which in holiness, you're the same place in every setting, right? You're not just one thing. You're not, you're not berating your wife in one setting and then so kind to everybody in another. <laughs> um, but you may be, when you first get married, um, doing that. I uh, had a friend of mine, Matt, who uh, had just gotten married a number of years ago, and a, a friend, Christina, and he came up and he said, um, 
he, Matt had gotten married to uh, another gal named Brittany just a month or two earlier. And Christine had been married about a year or something. And Christina goes, how's marriage going? Uh, Matt, and he said, well, you know, it's, o-. Matt was extremely honest. He said, you know, it's okay. I mean, it's been great, but we've argued. We haven't thrown anything yet or anything. And, and she goes, don't worry. And she passes it. You'll get there. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, no, you won't get there. But you may ask yourself, you may ask yourself, has anybody asked yourself, are we nutcases? Yeah. Do single people know what nutcases we are and how God's working in us? If you're not, then repent of pride and um, let the Lord work in you if you're judging. But we can see relationships are connected with holiness. We cannot develop wholeness or holiness in a vacuum, so to speak, relationally. We like that. I love Jesus. It's just people I hate. I love Jesus. It's just my faith group drives me crazy. I love Jesus. It's just, you know, if this staff or if these leaders or if my boss or if, if my teachers would get it together. And the Lord's saying, ah, I think maybe I've allowed what's in your life to work on you. Let your goal no longer be change everyone on earth. Um, let the Lord change you. We must have the crucible, whatever you want to say, the crucible, the burning away of our old ways of doing things uh, to develop our character. And boy, marriage is one of the best ways to do that in life. Uh, Gary Thomas, an um, author who wrote the book Sacred Marriage. Uh, it, 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 I'm sorry, I'm getting a lot of feedback. Is that me? Should I? Okay. Uh, anybody out there read uh, Gary Thomas' Sacred Marriage? Anybody thrown it down after you read the subtitle? <laughs> I've seen that happen. His subtitle is, What If the Purpose... Well, let me read it exactly. Uh, uh, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? And the sense and the thing that he talks about there is, I'm, I'm not saying ultimately, yes, happy. God desires us to be joyful, full of life. But in marriage, he's refining us in awesome and amazing ways. If we make our goal, my spouse is here to make me happy, guess what? No happy. No happy for you. Your spouse is, is <laughs> yes, they should ultimately make you happy. But if your goal, if your expectations are so high on your spouse or on any other relationship you have, guess what? They fail you every time. Nobody can reach your expectation if your expectation and hope is in them and not in God. Your hope is God is working in my life to bring an ultimate joy. But, I mean, there's, there's hard work in marriage at times. And if you're not willing to do the hard work, I, 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 we have friends that um, you can tell where the development of holiness broke down. And um, specifically with a couple of folks that we've known where the husband has left the wife. Pornography, uh, other relationships, secret relationships. I mean, just, I'm not saying that's the only thing, but it was just... The, the realization that the goal of marriage was not just to make me happy left them somewhere because they wanted to be made happy. Uh, but they didn't realize that um, working together in relationships is important. So with my wife, I, I can see it this way. Sarah, my lovely, wonderful wife. My goal should be to treat her as kindly as I would treat anyone. I'm not there yet. I don't know why it is sometimes in our marriages uh, that we treat our spouse 
Uh, unlike we'd want <laughs> to treat anyone at times. But the goal to me, I mean, yes, we treat each other well, but we want to be at that place in our lives where we are actually treating our spouse. It's, it's working us out in our lives. When I can learn to love my wife selflessly, as God has called me to, my wife can learn to, to love and honor me in a selfless way. When we don't put all our demands on them making us happy, but our realization that God has put us together for a wonderful purpose and great joy in Him, then, then I become better at loving those who are outside of me. I become more whole, right? It comes back to that. I'm not just, you know, anybody ever experienced that? Anybody ever been turned off? By God, because somebody was extremely holy in public and a terror in private. And that's not what God wants for us. He wants us. And it it works on your holiness. Uh, Marriage does. Listening. Oh, why is it easier to preach than to do? I could tell any of you guys come up here, listen to your wife. And then just, uh... Just start talking. <laughs> I don't know what the problem is. It takes <laughs> effort. But God wants me. If I can learn to really listen, to understand my wife. Guys, we're, we're way too defensive. We're way too defending ourselves. Um, and and, and uh, I, I'm just right in there. But God's teaching us. It's not about being uh, henpecked. It's about learning to love. And um, honoring, man, if I can honor my wife. You know, as we, when we got married first, I realized that there were different ways of honoring. And I wasn't speaking her honor language all the time. Uh, I was much more public about things <laughs> than honored. And uh, she had her way, I had my way. And uh, as I've said before, I wouldn't do it your way and you wouldn't do it my way, but together we'll find a better way. How about it? That's what we have to learn. But holiness means that we are able and, and working that our life inside of marriage and in our deep relationships develops our ability to love other people. That's why when we get into a difficult situation in marriage, we're not supposed to, to, to um, just veg out or, you know, go to this website or do this. We're to press into God and into one another. And that's why when we get hurt by people at church, it's best not to just run away because your problems follow you. I'm not saying if you're in completely unhealthy relationships, you should stay there. No. But if you're in generally healthy relationships and you get hurt and you want to run away, how many things are messed up because people just ran away rather than pressing in in the hard times? That's that's where we're going to come up with more and more 50-year marriages. We press in. We don't pull back. And uh, uh, I want to say this to to husbands and wives today, um, which is this. Um. Be willing to humble yourself more. Humility. And you know what? For me, I'm not very, I'm not a great husband. I'm working on it. I'm getting better. But I can tell you this. I don't leave a crack of an open, I don't leave a cracked door in my marriage. If Sarah and I have an argument, I'm I'm doing everything I can to reconcile it as soon as possible. And if you have the attitude when you were the kid and your brother or your sister and, you know, who was going to say they're sorry first and not me. And I won't do it for a million years. We've got to get rid of that in our marriages. You've got to seek always to pursue one another. And as men, I know that we, you know, for the rest of our lives, it's something God has. And women. So uh, the next thing is to display Christ in the church. Ephesians 5, 25 through 32. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with the water through the word and present her to her 
to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. We are to be image bearers of God. Image bearers of God. We are bearing the image in marriage. That's why this is so vital and so important in marriage. We are an image of Christ and the church. The way that a husband loves his wife. And the way that a wife honors her husband. And walks together in mutual submission. uh, And ultimately for the glory of God. It is a display. And more and more in our society. As things begin to unravel. That display is going to be one of our most powerful witnessing evangelism, whatever you want to call it, tools, having lives that display Jesus in the church. The love and respect cycle is mentioned by Emerson Egricks in his love and respect book is, uh, talks about uh, a cycle of love and a cycle of respect. Boy, I tell you, that's a cycle. The crazy, let me just tell you, as he says, the crazy cycle is where the woman feels that withholding respect is going to get her the love she needs. And the man feels like, well, she's not treating me with respect, so I'm not going to love her. That's crazy. Never works. Somebody's got to break. Somebody's got to break through. Somebody's got to break through and say, I'm going to love regardless. And I'm going to respect regardless. And uh, that cycle that we as men are challenged to love our wives. And the women are challenged to respect the husbands. And uh, I'll just give you this. One helpful word to maybe begin using and I can use this week, is, um, honey, I'm not feeling respected right now. Is there something I'm doing to make you feel unloved? Uh, It works better than, you're always doing this and never, and I, yeah, no, that doesn't work. (laughs) I don't think it has over the millennium, or all millennia. Uh, But husband, or, or wife to the husband, I'm not feeling loved right now, honey. Is there something that I'm doing to make you not feel respected? I'll just give you that as a tip for your marriage. Uh, But marriage is vital to our society for a number of reasons. And this is one of them. And the last thing I want to say is to procreate. Uh, Man was made to enjoy, perpetuate, and increase God's glory. We were made to enjoy His glory. Enjoy him to perpetuate and to increase his glory. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Isn't that interesting? Us. God was in relationship with himself. One God. Three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, So if you want to see how to relate, look at how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit relate to one another. Uh, Another sermon for another day. Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so they may rule over the fish of the sea and birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground. We've each been given a gift in our lives, whether single or married, to perpetuate and increase the glory of God. God's made you to increase His glory by being who you are in Him in a holy way. 
God's made each one of you individually the same. And so we take part in that. God's given you a creative gift in Him, whether it's in math, uh, or sciences, or literature, or, you know, sculpting, or whatever you want to call it. God's given you a gift. And so each one of us has that. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, whether, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Specifically with marriage, I want to say this. One of our, uh, the reasons for marriage <laughs> is in order to procreate. We're all made to procreate as far as to increase and, and honor and, and bring His glory to greater measures, okay? To be a part of that with Him. But... Specifically, as we interpret procreate, uh, we're made to make children, right? And that is vital. Um, uh, marriage uh, uh, is a, the place for the procreation of human beings. Marriage. And without a man and a woman, we cannot fill the first commandment that God gave us. That was the first commandment that God gave us. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And so a husband and wife get to take... Now, I'm not speaking to anyone who's had trouble having children. There's no condemnation here. Goodness gracious. Shame off you, not on you. But I'm saying that, that it is an honorable thing to take part with God to procreate. A husband and wife get to take part with. That means be vehicles of God in the creation of more worshiping beings. We get to be a part with God in seeing more worshiping beings. That means we don't have kids and leave them. We have kids and we train them to be those worshiping beings that God has. But God desires for us. Let's stand. I'm going to, and the band will come to heal aloneness in our relationships and specifically in marriage. God has a wonderful purpose for that to develop holiness, to make us whole people that we are the same in whatever setting we are in, but that we're to press into relationships and not pull back to display Christ in the church. The way that Jesus, when someone looks at our marriage, they say, that's how you love. That's how Jesus loves his church. That's how the church honors Jesus and, and walks together with him for his glory and to procreate that each one of us has been given a gift to honor God in our lives. And we want to help develop that in you. But one specific way that marriage people have been given to do that is to create new worshiping human beings, not us create, but be vehicles of his creation for his glory for all time's sake. Let's have our uh, uh, team come forward. We've got about, I'm going to give about seven minutes so today, but let's have our prayer team come forward. And if you have need for prayer, in any one of these issues, or uh, if you want, uh, I'm just going to pray a prayer right now over you. Uh, come on forward, some of our prayer team. Lord, I ask you right now in the name of Jesus that you would heal aloneness today, that you would increase our holiness today, that you would display in our marriages and in our lives great grace, Lord, of you, Jesus, and the church, and that you would make us, every one of us, in whatever ways you've given us, to honor and increase your glory through our lives, Lord. We will worship you and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.